A warm welcome in the name of Jesus Christ and on behalf of the congregation of St. Andrew's Presbyterian Church, Kingston. Here we are, midway through the month of June. We begin another week of grace before the Holy One. With the fragrance of the peonies and the early morning singing of the birds, we lift up our praise. And with the suffering of peoples oppressed by pandemic and racism and poverty, we lift up the cries of humanity to God. I will bless the Lord at all times, the psalmist declares. God's praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul makes its boast in the Lord. Let the humble hear and be glad. O magnify the Lord with me, and let us exalt God's name together. We begin now with a hymn that approaches the Holy One through Jesus. Jesus in whom we have seen beauty, both heavenly and earthly. Fairest Lord Jesus. It's sung to a tune from Silesia, a people portions now live in the lands we call Poland, the Czech Republic, and Germany. Fairest Lord Jesus.
As protests about the murder of George Floyd have extended around the world and confront us with the reminder that black lives matter, here in Canada, we are now engaged in a discussion about systemic racism. An understanding that racism cannot be dismissed by pointing to a few individuals, but racism infuses a society that does not screen for those who have conscious or unconscious bias, that does not offer training in how to deal with others of different cultural or religious backgrounds. Pondering all this, my thoughts turn to a very specific psalm, Psalm 82. It sounds unusual, even strange at first, but this psalm pictures God at the center of many gods, a council of gods. In some way, the ancient Israelites, of course, were just being honest because they were surrounded by peoples who worshipped other gods than the Lord God. And if we're honest, we might admit that we live among other gods also, for a god is anything for which a human being lives. It could easily be family, or security, or power, or pleasure. It's the Lord God who is preeminent among these gods, who is sovereign and at the center. The first and last lines of this psalm are spoken by the people. The middle section, from the mouth of the Lord God. And God brings a charge against the other gods. God does not charge them with being idols or that they do not exist. No, the charge is that they have failed to bring down evil and raise up justice. This is a psalm that challenges us. Are we the people of the Lord God? Let us read this psalm responsively. God has taken God's place in the divine council. In the midst of the gods, God holds judgment. How long will you judge unjustly and show partiality to the wicked? Give justice to the weak and the orphan. Maintain the right of the lowly and the destitute. Rescue the weak and the needy. Deliver them from the hand of the wicked. They have neither knowledge nor understanding. They walk around in darkness. All the foundations of the earth are shaken. And I say, you are gods, children of the Most High, all of you. Nevertheless, you shall die like mortals and fall like any prince. Rise up, O God, judge the earth, for all the nations belong to you. Amen.
Let us pray. Lord, open our hearts and minds by the power of your Holy Spirit, that as the scriptures are read, we may hear with joy what you say to us today. Amen. The reading today is from uh, Hebrews chapter 13, selected verses. Let mutual love continue. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for by doing that some have entertained angels without knowing it. Remember those who are in prison as though you were in prison with them. Let marriage be held in honor by all, and let the marriage bed be kept undefiled. Keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you or forsake you. So we can say with confidence, the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What can anyone do to me? Remember your leaders, those who spoke the word of God to you. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. Through him, then, let us continually offer a sacrifice of praise to God, that is, the fruit of lips that confess his name. Do not neglect to do good and to share what you have, for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. Now may the God of peace, who brought back from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, make you complete in everything good, so that you may do his will, working among us that which is pleasing in his sight, through Jesus Christ, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Greet all your leaders and all the saints. Grace be with all of you. Amen. Thanks be to God for the readings of this holy word. Let us pray. 
Lord God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be found now acceptable in your sight, you who are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. While our city is gradually beginning the journey to reopening, there do remain restrictions on travel. And so I thought I might offer for the next few weeks a series of sermons that could help keep the further horizons of our world before us by sharing some of the places that have helped me learn a bit about Christian life and faith. This morning I begin with a place important to me before I was even born, and to which I've returned several times. In the city where my parents were married, the Elisabetherkirche in Marburg, Germany. A bit of a backstory to begin with. My parents met in Geneva, Switzerland. John A. Johnston from Waterloo, Ontario, was on an organized tour through Europe after completing his academic studies in Canada and the United States. And he took advantage of a stop in Geneva to have an appointment at the World Alliance of Reformed Churches. And while waiting to meet with the general secretary, entered into conversation with a translator who was also waiting. She'd been seconded from her work with refugees with the World Lutheran Federation, a young German woman. Well, after this meeting, over the next couple of free days in Geneva, the Canadian and the German and her mother, who happened to be visiting at the time, spent some days together. John completed his tour, returned to Canada, informed his family, made arrangements with immigration, and within two months of first meeting in the year 1956, John was back in Europe, now in Marburg, and he and Erica Elisabeth Heppe were married. Love is patient, love is kind, love does not insist on its own way, the Apostle Paul preached. And it's so true for love to be a long-term reality, for the growth of love. Love definitely does involve discipline as well as delight. But I learned from my parents that love is also an emotion that can flare up suddenly, spontaneously, love for another human, and also love for God. And it's a love that can give life. So my parents were united, united for life together before family, friends, and God in the Elisabethe Kirche in Marburg. Of course, the Holy One cannot be constrained within or defined by human images or human constructions. But we do try as human beings to communicate something of the intimations that we feel of divine presence and promise. And some of the most enduring ways have been through styles of architecture that might lead human beings into the worship of God. The construction of the Elisabetha Kirche began in the year 1235. 
and it was not completed until over a century had passed. It was one of the first churches on German soil of the new architecture that we now know as Gothic. And to this day, it's known as one of the most original and beautiful in Germany. Its shape is cruciform. Its floor plan is in the shape of the cross of Christ, who laid down his life as a bridge back to God through life and even through death. And so God's people gather literally on his cross. The strength and simplicity of the tall pointed towers with their relentless upward movement is matched by a soaring interior. The human eye is raised. Human thoughts are raised to eternity, to beauty, and to mystery. Elisabethe Kirche, the Elizabeth Church. It's named after a woman of noble blood from Hungary who was born just over 400 years ago in the year 1207. She was engaged at the age of four. She was married at the age of 14 to Ludwig, Lord or Landgraf of Thuringia, Germany. One day, the story is told how her husband was out hunting and Elizabeth, out and about herself, met a leper on her way. She took this man into the castle. She bathed him with her own hands. She gave him something to eat and drink and placed him, this leper, in her own marital bed. Well, the story continues. Her mother-in-law was horrified. The mother-in-law rushed out to greet her son when he returned from hunting with the words, she has put a leper in your bed. Her excessive piety will be the death of us yet. Well, her husband, the Landgraf, himself was infuriated. He rushed into the bedroom. He pulled back the bed covers and there he saw not a leper, but his own Lord, Jesus Christ, in that bed. And with that image came Christ's words. As you did it for one of the least of these, you have done it for me. He turned to his wife and he said, Beloved sister, such a one as this you may always place in our bed. Sometime later, this Landgraf left for Italy to take part in a crusade with the emperor. At the beginning of the crusade, plague broke out and the crusade had to be broken off, but not before the Landgraf himself died in the year 1227. Elizabeth was left a widow at age 20, but she continued to care for everyone in need in her orbit. She refused to eat anything that might have been taken unjustly from the fields and the peasants around. She cared for any without food themselves and any that were ill. Well, Ludwig's brother, he now became Landgraf Prince, and he refused to sanction such behavior. He refused Elizabeth any money with which to live, any money of her own, 
For a time, she had to find accommodation in one of the farms. The prince hoped to have Elizabeth give in under pressure of poverty and homelessness and return to the court repentant to take up the way of the court, uh, the life fitting for one of her station. But instead, Elizabeth found herself free, free to follow the way of Jesus, freer outside the court than within. She made her way all the way from Wartburg to Marburg, in what's now central Germany, and there she set up a hospital just outside the city gates, where the poor and the sick and the old of the area were all welcomed. When she died just a few years later, November 17, 1228, at the age of 24, the whole area mourned and determined that a new church would be built and it would be named in honor of her life, the life of Jesus that she lived, and it was to be named Elisabethkirche. Well, standing in the Elisabethkirche, reflecting upon the life of Elizabeth, I learned that being a Christian is a matter of what we see in others and what we offer others. It's a matter of what we hold on to, our own personal position or inherited perspectives or the way of our God. It's a matter of what we long for, our own security and position or God's presence and God's world. Being a Christian may well be a matter of leaving behind life as it has been lived, of being freed for another life, of opening ourselves to what is new, the love defined by Jesus Christ, love for those close by blood and faith, but particularly love for those in any need. When Paul declares that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow, yesterday, today, and forever, he's reminding us that the way of living this love seen in Jesus does not change. And so we hear again those words from his letter to the Hebrews. Let mutual love continue. Do not neglect to show impartiality and hospitality. By doing so, some have entertained angels without knowing it. Remember those who are in prison as though you were in prison with them. Keep your lives free from the love of money. Be content with what you have. Do not neglect to do good, to share what you have. She was known for many years as Saint Elizabeth. But at the Reformation of the Church in Germany, out of the witness of Martin Luther and what's now known as the Evangelische Kirche of Germany, the Evangelical Church, saints are no longer recognized as they once were. No longer was she Saint Elizabeth. It's not that 
saints were no longer believed in, quite the opposite. Saint, though, had come to imply a certain perfection in spiritual things to which most human beings could not attain. These reformed Christians, these followers of Luther, they took their cue from the New Testament, where the understanding is that a saint, a saint is someone who may live more or less morally or piously than others. But neither morality nor piety defines a saint. In the New Testament, saints are ordinary men and women of a particular time and place whose only distinction is that they have been chosen by God, claimed in Jesus Christ, gathered by the Holy Spirit to be the people of God, to be part of God's people in this world, and to do God's work, and to live God's way in it. And so Paul concludes his letter. Greet your leaders and all the saints. Grace be with you all. All the saints referring to all the Christians, all who live in Christ and in whom Christ lives. Yes, as a congregation of Kingston, Ontario, Canada, in this year of grace 2020, we all miss our church building and sanctuary. But this is a great time to remember. As with the Elisabethe Kirche of Marburg, Germany, before the cathedral was the saint. Before the saint, there was the church, the community of God's people. And before the church, and with the church always, is Christ. Christ and his way in this world. All the saints, grace be with you all. Amen. Let us pray. Well, God, we thank you that, holy and transcendent as you are, we have seen you and known you in Jesus. Let us now find peace of heart by entering into your heart of love that was revealed in his life, death, and resurrection. Let us go from here thinking not of ourselves, not of our own hopes and fears, not even of our own sins in your sight. Let us go from here thinking about how you accompany us, how we might live for others as Christ even now lives for us. Amen.
And so we come to a time of prayer. It is said that perhaps the profoundest prayer is found in a time of silence. But in terms of conscious, crafted prayers, I'm reminded of something I was taught at an early age, the five points, adoration, confession, thanksgiving, supplication, and intercession, prayer. Let us pray. Holy God, the heavens cannot contain you and our language strains to speak of you. We can but communicate only traces of your presence. But now with hymns and prayers we worship you, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And we do so in thankfulness and joy in this morning of a new week. As children grow to maturity and begin to understand in some small way what their parents may have done for them since birth, O God, so do we begin to perceive what you have done for us all the days of our life. We give you thanks that you have made your promise and your love for us known in Jesus Christ. In him is life, and this life is the light of humanity. And so we ask that in praising, receiving, and trusting him this morning, we may have the power again to become your children, the children of the Most High. Holy God, we confess that we have sinned in thought, word, and deed, and that we have sinned equally in what we've left undone as individuals and as societies. We pray have mercy upon us, Forgive us all our sins. Confirm and strengthen us in all goodness. And grant us, O God, the opportunity to taste life anew. May we hear, O God, now your blessing for all the saints. Blessed are the saints who trust God's power and loving care, for they are part of the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are the saints when they are sad because the world is so unfair. They have God's promise that justice will come. Blessed are the nobodies who know they are nobodies and still do God's work. In God's world, they are the leaders. Blessed are the saints whose greatest wish is to do what God desires. God will give them what they want. Blessed are the saints who treat other people gently. God will treat them gently. Blessed are the saints who get in trouble when they do what God requires, for they surely are numbered among God's own. O oh God, we would be your people, and we would know your blessing. And so we pray, let your Holy Spirit breathe into us new appreciation for life. And let your Christ be formed in us. Let us learn of him all lowliness of heart, all gentleness of bearing, all helpfulness of service, all promptness in doing the Father's will. Help us, O God, admit the difficult parts of our lives 
Help us make the changes that we must make. Bring us to new places of openness before you and, and of justice for all those around. Help us to be more willing to share the good things of life, all that we so undeservedly and abundantly now enjoy. Hear us as we lift up our prayers for others, prayers for those close to us, and prayers for whole peoples and other continents. We pray for our families and friends. We pray for those lonely and suffering within our crowded cities. We pray for all that work for good in the midst of pandemic, for all standing up with others oppressed in our societies. We pray for unity amongst humanity and peace amongst the nations. Hear us, O God, as we lift up now our prayers personal in this time of silence. O God, hear these our prayers for others. And now as we close and prepare to greet this week of grace unfolding, we lift up but one last prayer. Grant us a constant remembrance of the great cloud of witnesses who have gone this Christian way before us, and which at all times surround us, that we may be kept from the ways of evil and be inspired to do great good in this world, this world of your creation and care, your world. To you, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, be all glory and praise forever. Hear us, O God, as we continue in the words you have given us. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. The words to our concluding hymn were written in the year 1636 by a German pastor by the name of Martin Rinkart. He was at work amongst his people during the Thirty Years' War. It wasn't just the violence of the time that overwhelmed, but also the plague. For some time, he was the only surviving pastor in the town, and there were days, we're told, that he conducted 50 funerals. In one year, he conducted over 4,000 burials, including that of his wife. It was in the midst of this context, of the Thirty Years' War and of plague, that this Christian by the name of Martin wrote the words to this hymn that were to be sung at the signing of the Peace of Westphalia a decade later in 1649. Nun danket alle Gott, now thank we all our God.
And now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord be kind and gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and grant you peace this day and every day. Amen.